Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 353, recorded November 21st, 2021. All right, so yeah, so today we're doing issue 25 of Year 5 and 0 of Mirror War. Right. So, any business to talk about or shall I begin? Well, the only business I want to talk about is, uh, and it'll be old news by the time this comes out, is that uh, I found out this morning that there's a mini series on, on the History Channel about Star Trek called uh, Captain's Chair. Cool. So, as of today, there's only been two episodes: one that covers the original series, and one that covers the animated series. So, they are going deep on the cut. So, I don't know what the uh, future episodes are going to have, but it's kind of cool that they're doing that. That's very cool. I I always like those kind of things. And you had mentioned that they're coming up with things on the episodes you've seen so far that you had never heard before. Yeah, yeah, no, they keep they threw out a couple of little tidbits that I was just like, huh, I did not know that. I did not know that. Cool, cool. I that's what I like. I really don't like ones where they just rehash stuff you knew already. Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, definitely worth a watch if you're a Star Trek fan. Very good. Okay. That plug being done, let's talk year five, the final issue, 25. Um, it was published July 2021. There's no title I see, um, really, although one of the covers may, may be a, a stealth title. I'll talk about that when I get there. Let's let's talk about the creative team because it's it's a busy one. So uh, it looks like what they did with this issue is uh, well, they definitely broke up the stories into what happened to uh, groups of characters um, between the uh, issue 24 and uh, the motion picture. So they're kind of breaking off and showing you what happened to the different characters and they have different authors and even different uh, artists involved in those different uh, sub stories that make up this issue. So I'm going to have a lot of people to, to mention here. So writers Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly wrote pages one through four and 21 through 24. So that's probably the, yeah. So that's the beginning and the end. Jody Hauser did pages five through eight. Paul Cornell did pages nine through 12. Jom McCann did pages 13 through 16. Brandon Easton did pages 17 through 20. And they did the same thing with artists. Carlos Nieto did pages 1 through 4 and 21 through 24. Sylvia Califano did pages 5 through 8. Angel Hernandez did pages 9 through 12. Um, layouts were done by J.J. Lendl. Art Okay, so there's a there's a these okay so these two people were involved in art, 
What I'm not quite sure what that means as opposed to artists, but fine, art. Megan Levins did pages 13 through 16. Christopher Jones did pages 17 through 20. Colorist is Charlie Kirchhoff. Letterer, Neil Yataki. Showrunners, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. And the editors are Chase Morotes and Megan Brown. Okay, so we have two covers. The first one, uh, cover A, features the bridge crew of the Enterprise as they look at the end of their five-year mission and in the future within the uh, motion picture uh, movie and era. The Seven Taws era officers are walking together towards the reader with big frowny sourpuss faces in the lower half of the cover. Uh, the torso and heads of the same seven or officers, but in the motion picture era, are in the upper half of the cover, with the Enterprise primary hull uh, forming a uh, a background, a backdrop behind them. And that cover is done by Stephen Thompson. The retailer incentive cover is similar to the primary cover in that the seven-person bridge crew from the Taws and motion picture eras are both presented. One, which is highly stylized, uh, and also and by J.J. Lentil. He always does highly stylized things. The Taws team are on the left, and then the motion picture team or versions are on the right side. And then Kirk, is his face is split down the middle, uh, which is straddling both time periods. So the right half is motion picture, left half is Taws. The silhouettes of the Enterprise is in the middle. Between the two ample nacelles is what could be the issue's title, maybe? So the words experienced in loss is there right under the Star Trek year five uh, text. Uh, so not sure what experienced this means, unless maybe that is a uh, stealth title. Bright Eyes departs a large rust-colored Tholian capital ship in a shuttle and descends to Lloyd Zeta-9. He thinks back when he called this place home and did not know what being alone was. He and the others in the colony made up one whole unit until that perfect whole was shattered by his own people. Today, he returns to that home where innocence was lost in fire to find it being rebuilt by hands both Tholian and not. Starfleet aliens are helping to raise this phoenix from the ashes. The strange others he found in his aloneness that became his friends that helped him to be less alone. Bright Eyes enters the main administration building for the joint Tholian Federation colony and finds Admiral James T. Kirk at his desk. They welcome each other and talk about how many strings Kirk had to pull to be allowed to return to lead negotiations between the Tholians and the Federation people. Bright Eyes asks about the rest of the crew, to which Kirk says they are all finding their way. Narrative shifts to a Starfleet admiral in her San Francisco office, asking Captain Spock if he is sure about resigning from Starfleet. Spock says that he is. It is clear Starfleet is no longer the right place for me, Spock says. On his shuttle trip back to Vulcan, Spock thinks about significant events of the past year. After arriving on Vulcan and settling in, he walks to a mountain temple 
with a huge statue of a Vulcan man in front of its entrance. In ceremonial Vulcan attire, Spock enters. Meanwhile, in a corner of Russia that Chekhov is apparently from, Sulu, Chekhov, and a dark-haired young lady find themselves tied to chairs and surrounded by four men armed with guns and a pitchfork. Chekhov knows the leader of the ruffians, a man named Dennis. This part of Russia has somehow not yet gotten with the Federation Earth as an Eden program and still lives in poverty. The locals, led by Dennis, think these three Federation representatives are taking advantage of them in some way. Chekhov strikes out talking sense into his childhood friend, but with a joke and a smile, Sulu is able to win them over and starts a negotiation discussion to bring civilization to this remote corner of Earth. Sulu does such a good job that the lovely brunette introduces herself to Sulu as Susan Ling from Admiral Sharan's office. She seems to be quite taken by the sometimes shirtless fencer, uh, as Chekhov looks on and cannot believe the luck Sulu is experiencing right now. Scene shifts to Lake Burton, Georgia, where a bearded Dr. Leonard McCoy continues to adjust to retired life in a sweet house on the shores of Lake Burton. He received a call from a Starfleet ensign working for Admiral Kirk that extends the Admiral's offer to return to the Enterprise as her chief medical officer. On an impulse, McCoy says he knows a nurse that would make a damned fine doctor to take that position and hangs up. Looking at a picture of his daughter, Joanna, and the birthday gift he had planned to give her in person for a change, he says, maybe next year. In a space dock high above Earth, that is the site of the Enterprise Refit Project, Commander Montgomery Scott is enjoying a drink while he gazes at the Enterprise. She is early enough in the refit process to not have its life support systems running. In a few more weeks, he will be able to step aboard the old girl. He thinks about an old quote that the Enterprise reminds him of when a familiar but unexpected voice asks if she may say hello and interrupt whatever it is going on between the salty engineer and the Enterprise. It's Uhura who enters in a lovely hot pink dress. She enters, and they hug like the old friends and shipmates they are. They have a bite to eat and a drink where they can see the ship. Scotty goes on and on about the changes they are making. Uhura calls him Montgomery, which surprises Scotty since he is on duty. But she makes it clear she is not on duty. She talks about not being quite fulfilled, being on Admiral Kirk's staff. And they talk about how the Admiral is not fulfilled either by the desk job he is in. They are all so consumed by their careers that they have all neglected their personal lives to the point of them almost not having personal lives anymore. Ohura makes it clear they need to make time for their personal lives, too, and makes it very clear she wants to spend more of her personal life with Scotty. Ohura kisses Scotty on the cheek and asks Scotty to call her Miota. 
She goes on to say she is free this weekend and suggests they meet at a restaurant in Lagos. Montgomery should let her know if he's interested since she is planning to fill up her calendar. Scotty's heart is racing, and he is a little freaked out, but, but he tells her that he will contact her first thing in the morning. Neota leaves. Flabbergasted, but intrigued by the possibilities, Scotty tells the Enterprise she may have some competition. Scene shifts to Kirk and Bright Eyes standing in Kirk's office in the Lloyd Zeta-9 Joint Colony Administration Building. Their diplomatic work is complete as they have each other sign the Tholian Federation Accord that outlines how the two people will conduct trade while respecting each other's sovereignty, how they will learn about each other's cultures. Kirk entreats Bright Eyes to come back to Starfleet, but Bright Eyes says his place is with his people, continuing to help them through the process of stepped-up contact with the greater galaxy. They will still be isolationists, but with the right nudging, they will be less so with their new foundation their new Federation friends. As Kirk beams up to the ship that will take him back to Earth, Bright Eyes thinks about how he has become one with the Elder's Shard and how they are consonant. However, the admirable dissonance of his Starfleet friends means the human adventure is just beginning. Dun, 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 dun. The future. The end. So did you like this issue? Uh, I liked seeing the origin story of the the Ahura the Scotty romance. I like that. What? That's the that's the part I like the that's best. That's Star Trek Five. I thought you hated everything about Star Trek Five. And in fact, I thought Star Trek Five didn't exist anymore. Uh, well, unfortunately, you can't get rid of Star Trek Five. It is a blight on the landscape, which you cannot get rid of. Yeah, I was and, really surprised they brought that up since they've never brought up anything else from Star Trek V, like, you know, Cybok. <laughs> Just a random comment about Cybok would be fine. Why not do it here? What? Didn't they make, I mean, hasn't Cybok been mentioned somewhere? I mean, come on. Nope. Only in a couple of the novels in all those comic around books the time. You read, he was never mentioned. Nope. Mm, I remember something. But it yeah. was brief. The comic book of uh... <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, adaptation, right? Of Star Trek Five. Oh. Okay, so that's the part I like the most. the The one I let mention I like the least is the uh, Sulu Chekhov thing. Yeah, that seemed really random. You ain't kidding. Because you'd literally just turn the page, and then suddenly you go from Spock having memories of being. On Earth, you know, as he's about to start Colonar, where he's going to purge all those feelings. And then mm -hmm. you turn the page and, oh, they're all tied up. It's like a Mission Impossible type scenario, you know. Exactly. And you're just like, what the heck's going on? Exactly. And, and then, you, yeah, yeah, just people with shotguns holding you up next to a, a tied up in a chair. Just like, that's not very Star Trek-y. No. And, and where are they anyway? It was not clear at first. Um, and then they go on to talk about like what this corner of Russia is not paradise already. It's like, I thought all of earth 
became paradise. Um, and so why is there still a corner of Russia that has poverty? That, right. that Chekhov is apparently from. It's and like, they still what? use hard currency and things like that. Oh, yeah, so and pitchforks. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't think pitchforks will ever go out of style. Well, they'll, they'll probably not sport. completely vanish. But but look at look, they got shotguns, or at yeah. least what looks like shotguns. No, they look like shotguns. Yeah. So anyway, but all Sulu has to do is make a little lame joke and just smile that smile, and boom, they're sitting drinking vodka or whatever. Well, Talking it sounds about, like, like he like wasn't just making a joke. He was siding with them. Like, like Chekhov was being all argumentative about how Dennis is in the wrong. And then it seems like Sulu's just like, Dennis. well, I, I see your point. And then, and then they're having drinks. So. <laughs> what? What? Why Dennis? Is, is this supposed, this is Russia, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe it'd be cliche, you know. To use a Russian first name, but come on, Dennis? Well, it is spelt with one N. Well, okay. That's the Russian version. Oh, yeah, oh, oh is that right? No, I don't know. <laughs> you pulled that out of an orifice. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, it's like, come on. I, it's, every time I read it, I just thought of Bonnie Python. I wondered why you kept emphasizing the word Dennis during your synopsis. Dennis, there's some lovely filth down here. Yes, Monty Python. That's great. Uh, yeah, Dennis is a great. Uh, they use the Dennis name in in a one particular aspect of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, just because of how out of place it is in the Middle Ages. And it was the same thing for me here. It's like Dennis. That is so out of place in a Russia. Yeah, who knows? Maybe it's a common name. Never been. Me either. Anyway. So, uh, but this woman, Susan Ling, I'm assuming mm-hmm. she's uh, Demora's wife. I mean, uh, I, mother. Mother. I was thinking the same thing, but I didn't. Did you look it up? I did look it up, and it okay. did say that that's that's her name. Oh, but, cool. Uh, and I guess it's been referenced in the uh, the Captain's Daughter book, which was mm-hmm. by Peter David, which I really liked back in the day. Cool. Uh, and then uh, Serpents Among Ruins, which is also a pretty good book, which I've read. So, uh, but I don't remember her name being in it because she's not in either one of those those stories. But I guess I guess they were mentioned in in the book because Memory Beta does have an entry for her. Right. So, it's kind of cool. This is how they met. That's that's great. I mean, that that makes it better. But still, <laughs> still don't like the sequence. Yeah, I had the feeling about that, but I didn't look it up. It just puts. But her you at, did. Yeah, it just puts her at very. It puts Demora at a younger age than I think she really should be. So I mean, she looked what twenty five maybe, and I mean, she was already yeah. yeah a she looked like woman. a like a young woman, right, right? Which I don't think from this point to that point, twenty five years passes. I mean, I don't think they're running around in the Enterprise A for twenty five years, right? So I always thought she was born either during or before the the main the regular series right but what how do i he, know how did he find time for a family exactly and didn't say anything to anybody right just kept it secret so chekhov must have known about it well he's there least. he's there at the meeting exactly now mind mind you maybe just got kind of pissed off and went 
what on the Reliant or whatever, right? And bl- blew this pop stand before they really got married and stuff. Well, but, no, but how do you get how do you get married and everything? He doesn't go to the Reliant until after the motion I, picture. I know. I'm just making a reference. Uh, an incorrect uh, one. Got it. Oh, oh, <laughs> you get. Are you going to nitpick me that much? No. Okay. But I was anyway, but, I was thinking that this was like Sulu's going to forgive Chekhov for screwing up his relationship with the fish fish person. Well, they did that already. They haven't really. They did been that in chummy. in past issues. Just when they killed oh. ISIS, they were kind of they were kind of uh, yeah, they were completely relationship. they were completely po- copacetic again. Uh, I thought there was still some animosity during that time. I don't think so. I but mean, not he took anymore. His, fish he took the navigation. Fish person out of her, out of his mind now. He's got a new lady. Uh, exactly. Who doesn't have gills? Weird. Okay, so what about the dude ranch thing? So yeah, during Spock's little memories, he has yeah. one one memory of being at the uh, at Kirk's Iowa farm. Yep. Uh, oh, okay. So that makes sense, but it's like it just seemed well, like yeah. you you have to remember that at the end of episode or issue twenty four, Kirk offers Spock to spend a few days at the farm to meditate his next steps or whatever. And I don't I don't remember that at all <laughs> from the issue. <laughs> but when you you mentioned that before the before we started recording, it's like okay that makes that makes more sense. Yeah, I like that part, and then his other memories. I mean, he he remembers. You know, working with Bright Eyes, he remembers. Uh, mm-hmm. He remembers the flashback to when he was on Vulcan mm-hmm. back during Cyberic's uh, time. No. Yeah, he. I didn't mention the synopsis because you can't mention everything, but there were a lot of uh, a lot of pictures, a lot of memories. Yeah, and even the fish people. Even the fish people. <laughs> but there was one weird shot where it shows him like pinching his leg or something. What What was up with that? Why was he pinching himself? Was that to show stress or something? I don't know. Or was he like, am, what, what, am I dreaming? I, I, I didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> well, okay, so he's he's grabbing his leg in, with stress, his two legs really, and then and then right to the lower left is Spock like lashing out with a fist. Right. Is that is that when he hit that admiral, or what is that? Yeah, he lost control at some point in the in the twenty in the twenty five issues. I can't remember okay. the specifics. Okay, well, so he he's not happy about having lost lost his emotional control. So that's probably what he's grabbing his legs over. Mm. All right, well that would make sense. Yeah, if you want to tie all three of those frames together, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> just trying to make it all make sense donovan i've learned from the master yeah so do they ever mention in this issue who won the presidency was it was it shaw or was it the originalists or uh i'm gonna guess shaw but i don't know yeah, they didn't say exactly i'm just gonna say it i mean that was a big plot point for the last 24 issues Yep. And then now you got this one where it's kind of jumping through time a little bit. You know, we get mm-hmm. like a, a sped up couple of years. Um, but I don't remember them ever saying Shaw won. Yeah, they're just moving on. So it does. It, in the grand scheme of things, maybe it doesn't matter because the originalists apparently go away as a party. Well, Dennis is talking uh, about them. 
I mean, he he mentions that that's one of the reasons why he's doing this. Uh, yes. This thing is because he sides with the originalists. Yeah. Well, and why? What? Why? What, what does the originalists? I don't know. I didn't say I, mean, I understood so, it. I said he says it. Okay. It, it doesn't make sense. I didn't like it. I didn't yeah. like this issue. Overall, you didn't like it. I did not. I really <laughs> did not. I, I wanted you, to. Well, we you know we could have easily not done this issue, and it really wouldn't have mattered that much. No, everything was wrapped up in the last issue. Well, I mean, we did see we did see the signing of the accord between the Tholians and the Federation, so that was good. Uh, so that that was still a point that you figured was going to happen, but we actually saw it happen, and we saw that Kirk and a considerably matured. Uh, Bright Eyes uh, right. actually were involved in in making that happen and actually signing the you know signing the paperwork right. of the accord. So that was kind of good. That was that was a tying up a loose end. But the Sulu and Chekhov thing, <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, I, gu- I guess you could say there's some benefit in seeing Spock on his way back to Vulcan, maybe. And then uh, the McCoy thing. I mean, that was kind of useless. no that. I, I didn't say much about the McCoy thing in the in the synopsis because it really wasn't a big deal. I mean, we get a little origin of that giant ass chain on his chest in uh, the motion picture, uh, and the and the giant beard, right? <laughs> so that gift was supposed to be for his for his daughter. Yep, is this the big chain that it. he wears in the motion picture? I think so. Uh, I always think he looks like uh, in, in the motion picture. He always looks like um, what's his name? Uh, Billy like Captain Nemo to no. me. Who does he look like? Johnny Gibb? No, who, the Bee Gees. Johnny Gibb. Who's the Who's the lead singer in the Bee Gees? Oh, I don't know. He looks like one of the Bee Gees. Yeah, because they, they always had one of the their, Gibb brothers. Yeah, the Gibb brothers. Yeah, they always had their <laughs> their the the shirt open, big medallions, hairy uh-huh. chest, big beard. Very good, very good. That's who we, that's who he always reminded me of in the motion okay. picture. Until he gets oh. all shaved up. Right. <laughs> I, hmm. Let me look at that cover again. That's funny. <laughs> no, he still does Captain Nemo for me. All right. But yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but can he sing in three registers higher than any male should be able to sing? Uh, that would clinch it for me and Barry Gibb McCoy, if that was it. McCoy has the – and that's another thing about all these pictures. His head looks gigantic compared to his body. Yeah. It. I mean like you said in the in your credits, different art staff throughout the, throughout the book. But yeah. whoever did this one – Really leaned into the cartoony stuff because he looks like a cartoon with his big head and all the all the lines are very smooth and there's not a lot of detail. It's just like yeah, yeah you're right. Just like a flat color for the most part. Right. Yep. Like a Looney Tune or something. <laughs> you know who he looks a little bit like? Uh, Nick Offerman. Yeah. Right. I can see that. A little bit. You know. In that he's a bearded man. Beard, a bearded man out in the woods exactly using a hammer yes on his finger 
It's like, okay, maybe that that part. It's like, damn it, I'm supposed to do surgery later, and I just broke my finger. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As Offerman walks into Home Depot, and as somebody walks up to help him, I know more than you. <laughs> That's a good joke. Uh, his, From a very good series. His best line was, bring me all your bacon. I, I feel like you didn't understand what I said. I want you to literally bring me all your bacon. When they're in that restaurant? Yeah. Right. That's yeah. great. <laughs> what a great character. It was the, it, it was the best thing about Parks and Rec. Although there was a lot of good things in Parks and Rec. Yeah, that's a good show. It's a great show. And it doesn't sound like it shouldn't be. It's, it's a, it's a situation comedy about people in the Parks and Rec Department of a little town. That, that doesn't sound like great primetime viewing, but oh, it was. It worked. It did. All right, so back to this issue. Um, my favorite scene or my favorite bit of artwork that's on several mm-hmm. panels and several pages is just yes. the Enterprise being a ah, I, I okay. thought it was beautiful. Yeah, very good job. Very good job of the drawing and the and the coloring and the spotlights and uh, it all and, looks really good. And just showing the scale. I mean, it, it looks mm-hmm. big. It looked yep. like he's really like looking at something that's big. Right. Then you can see major sections of the hull uh, off as they're reassembling in the new, uh, you know, in the new uh, design. No right. nacelles on yet. Where they're going to put those big giant windows in the hole that, that suddenly show up in the motion picture. Or I guess they have yes. those gardens and stuff that they're in. I guess so. I guess so. It's kind of cool. We get to see the origin of that. Anyways. Very cool. Lots of good origins. But yeah, overall, was not a fan. I, I wanted to like this so much, but it it really felt like filler. And... Like you said, it was a bunch of little stories with all the crew, but not all of them needed to really be told. No. Maybe but none of them. That's fine. Maybe none of them. Because <laughs> we knew all this happened. Okay. Do you feel at all – I mean, could you have taken or le- left even reading this issue? Oh, yeah, totally. I now, mean, I- I'm happy I read it. There were some parts in it I liked quite a bit. Did I do it? Did I need to read this? No, did not need to, but I liked it. Mm. I thought I thought Scotty's <laughs> I thought Scotty's discomfort with the whole romance thing, uh, and then then Ahura's absolute like she is sure this is what she wants. She wants that little Scotsman. It's like that is I like that. That's cool. <laughs> I, I didn't care for that part. It was part, oh, it's it's part of Star Trek. It's romance. That I, don't, I don't really like. It doesn't work with those I, two. This does. I think this worked fine. Eh. I did like the, and it's very like I don't know sexist. Okay. <laughs> His little when he's first like looking at the Enterprise and he's talking mm-hmm. and he's thinking about the old saying which which you alluded to oh, but you didn't actually say it. I but, didn't say it. Yeah, so the saying, say everything. the saying is a man is lucky if he is the first love of a woman. A woman yeah. is lucky if she is the last love of a man. Which is a little sexist. That is kind of sexist. That is. <laughs> but, that is sexist. But come on. I mean, that really speaks to his relationship with the Enterprise, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The Enterprise is supposed to be his last love. 
right. then but then Ahura comes in and he's like, Oh, last love. Ooh. I don't know what to okay. do. Maybe we gotta spread this around a little bit. <laughs> spread around a little Scotster. Yeah, well 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 thank goodness their relationship really doesn't go anywhere and this ship's about to explode, so there'll be another enterprise for him to live. <laughs> You know, it doesn't go anywhere. Well, they don't act like they ever would. In Star Trek V, they don't act like they ever acted on their relationship. They just always had these feelings for each other. It's probably like a, well, okay, it's not quite Riker and Troy, because in the end they did get married. But um, it's like one of those things. Hmm. Maybe. And now we know what happened to Scotty ultimately in the next gen episode but he didn't end up with a hurrah oh well in the long run right right yeah he just ran off to the dyson sphere that's right relics anyway so have you got anything else to say about this issue about how little you little regard you have for it no just uh kind of a fan of the uh motion picture pajamas which uh only scotty's wearing but aside from that no oh kirk's wearing them uh, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, it's it's under when he's sitting. Yeah, and I thought that was kind of okay. So how much time went by? So they talk about they talk about Loic Zeta Nine that's now been renamed to some the Tholian Federation colony, whatever. Right. And they've got eleven thousand three hundred and forty nine souls right. that are there. So people and Tholians. That's a lot of people. Right. Um, I mean, when they nuke, when the when the Tholian government experimented on and pretty much killed everybody that was on the colony except for Bright Eyes, uh, what they were like zero, <laughs> <laughs> and then they built up to eleven thousand people. That's pretty. So uh, I'm trying to judge how much time passed. And of course, uh, Kirk's in the next gen uniform. He's got the, the 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 tan away mission jacket, and he's got the pajamas underneath. Right. Um, and Scotty is, definitely. Yeah, but there uh, there was people wearing those in, in the other ships in the in the year five book, so. True, true, true. Uh, well, yeah, because the Enterprise was gone for so long, they still had the older, older uniforms. Um, yeah, I would say the only really mm-hmm. judge of time is how big Bright Eyes got. Man, he got big. Yeah. I, I'm looking at that, that thing where they're both looking out, uh, Kirk and him are looking out the window, and Bright Eyes is standing next to Kirk, and it's like, oh my God, Bright Eyes could just like skewer Kirk so easy, right? If he yeah, wanted he, to, he's a full, full-grown Tholian now. Yeah, and look at his lats. Woof! That guy's <laughs> that guy's done some working out. Yep. Anyway, so yeah, I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how many. I, I assume a couple of years go by in this uh, one issue. A couple. At least, yeah. Okay, so uh, w- De- one more thing. Decker makes... hasn't shown up, and they haven't. No. I mean, the Enterprise is still in major construction. So major, yep. They, you can't even get on the ship yet because you know the the outer hull pieces are like being redone. But at least they set the seeds that uh, Ahura, Chekhov, and Sulu will leave their position with Kirk and go back to the Enterprise when when it gets close to being launched. Right. Yeah. But again, they're making it sound, I mean, okay, so so the McCoy thing. So was that in a later time period? 
That must be a later time period. I would hope so, but from knows? the all the Sulu and and the other things, right? Yeah, he's it's asking not, for it's him to come back. At all. Right. Yeah. Well, you gotta, yeah, you you, you gotta build your own continuity because they're not saying five months later or one year later or right. anything like that. Yeah, they're letting you figure it out. Yeah. No, I'm thinking over the course of this book, several years. Yeah. So at least two years, if not more have passed, but not enough to get us all the way to the motion picture. Right. Okay, one last thing I want to say mm-hmm. is Sulu and Chekhov are working within Admiral Kirk's office, right? Right. So why is an admiral in Starfleet doing social work in Russia, trying to bring paradise to Russia, because they want that authentic produce. Because he want <laughs> he wants a nice Russian <laughs> carrot, and so a therefore carrot. carrot. We have to bring this <laughs> this little town into the Federation. Into the Federation, or it's Earth, right? It, it makes Isn't this no Earth? sense. Yeah, it's it's Earth. Okay, so Starfleet takes care of space. And I would think there's a whole bunch of other entities on Earth that may not even be part of the Federation that takes care of Earth. So I do not understand why an admiral's office staff are involved in this kind of a mission. Right. Yeah. And and then the Susan Ling is from a different admiral's office. And exactly, they've never yes. met before. Right. And yet right. But somehow they're all together, three of them are captured before right. they even know who, who each other are. Because she doesn't even give her name until oh, the very true. last page. That's and true. yet They introduce like, each other at the end. Yeah, you're like, weren't y'all working together? What's going on? How are y'all just now meeting? Right. Unless they were both had their own mission and they both got captured doing their own thing. I don't know. Yeah. Or they were having difficulties with this province. And they knew Chekhov was from there, so they asked Admiral Kirk, hey, could you lend your person to try to do something with these hicks? I don't know. That's a justification. Right. Or maybe but Susan was make... already captured, and then Sulu and Chekhov came down to free her? I don't oh. know. Who oh. knows? You have to make maybe. up your own stuff, which, which I don't <laughs> <laughs> I like being guided to an answer. I don't like having to just come up with it. Well, okay. But isn't that a question of degree? I mean, because you like – I like it in a story where, you know, they they, they draw the two points. They, they present the two points to you, and you draw the line between them and go, oh, that's what they were getting at. Oh, boy, I feel smarter now. Right, exactly. So that's fine. But it's like – it's like when they don't have that other point and they just give you one point and exactly. then there's nothing to actually connect it to, then that's right. when I don't like it. There you go. So like Murder, She Wrote. They had enough things there you can kind of maybe figure out what's going on. At least you had a shot at it. Right. But there was an, an Ellery Queen short-lived TV series with Jim Hutton in it, and they made that so hard. There is no way on God's green earth you could figure out, you know, who the bad guy was. Right. And it, what – okay, Ellery Queen is smart. Bravo. But, you know, I'd like to be, like, involved in this instead of feel like a moron at the end of it. <laughs> Anyway, whatever. That's it. All right. Shall we move on? Let's do it. All right. 
All right, so this is Star Trek Mirror War, issue zero. Now, why they didn't start with one, I don't know, because this is the beginning of the of the miniseries. But they, they started... I have one. a theory. Okay, well, we can, we can talk, talk at the end. All right. So this came out August 2001. The writers are Scott and David Tipton, artists by Carlos Nito. Colorist by DC Alonzo, letterer Neil Yutaki, editor Megan Brown. And this is an IDW, so you know there's some covers. Uh, so the first cover is by uh, Carlos Nito, the, the main artist. And it shows uh, Picard in the foreground holding up the flag of the Mirror Universe, the Terran Empire. And then two the left of that we see Troy holding up what looks like to be a skull and then to the right of him we see Riker and Data and Data is the mirror universe where his eye and arms are borgified the uh, second cover is by Edge Enabe and it's uh, just a painting foreground shows Picard kind of looking off to the left and then behind him we see Data with his back turned to us, looking up at the stars. And then the final cover is by Bex Gilding, or Glendingding. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, Bex Glendining. And it's kind of more of a traditional movie poster type uh, cover. So uh, we get, like, Picard's face. It's large, but in the background a little bit. Off to the left, we see... Data holding up a knife. Uh, to the right of Picard, we see the Enterprise being chased by some Klingon birds of prey. And then at the very bottom, we see what looks to be a uh, three thrones with an emperor in the middle and, and uh, a man on one side and a woman on the other side. And then the little logo in the corner says, a brand new epic adventure. All right, so that's it for the covers. So now we get to the story. So just historian's note type thing. This story takes place shortly after the miniseries Through the Mirror and is supposed to run concurrently with the miniseries Terra Incognita, which we've covered before. Uh, so this shows uh, or this starts off with the mirror version of the Enterprise D with, you know, that's the one that has the three nacelles. And it's uh, making a plundering raid against a automated Cardassian freighter. So Picard takes the raiding team, which includes Jordy, Riker, Wesley Crusher, and Sonia Gomez. And they're uh, making their way to the freighter aboard a shuttle. So once the shuttle latched itself to the hull of the bigger ship, they then venture out into space with the EV suits. And then they access the Cardassian craft via an auxiliary air duct or airlock. Once inside, they split up looking for loot, only to find out that this craft is not automated, but instead filled with Cardassians hiding to ambush the Terran crew. The humans have to fight their way back to the shuttle. Riker barely makes it due to some quick reflexes of Crusher and Lopez, who scoop him up as the shuttle's leaving. Uh, as the shuttle starts streaking towards the Enterprise, some Klingon birds of prey decloak and start firing upon it. 
the crew barely are able to beam aboard the Enterprise just as the shuttle is blown to bits. And then the Enterprise is able to go to warp and escape. So before the crew have any time to lick their wounds, Picard is contacted by Imperial Command. The Vulcan representative of the Emperor tells Picard that he needs to return to Earth to explain his recent string of failures. While the great ship is en route to Earth, Picard is attacked by a masked assassin who is able to get three throwing knives into the captain's back before the captain is able to dislocate or possibly break the assassin's arm. Uh, the assassin is able to retreat while Picard yanks the daggers out of his own back. Shortly later, we see Picard in Medical Bay where Crusher has just treated his wounds. He tells her that the assassin cannot be found on the ship, nor can they find any transporter logs of his arrival or departure from the ship. Troy then asks why the captain does not have a bodyguard, to which Picard says that he does not want one because it'll make him look weak, nor does he want to lose his edge by relying on others. Later on Earth, Riker and Picard arrive to the Emperor Nekov's audience chamber. We see that the Emperor is almost comatose, and he's being flanked by a Vulcan male that we saw from earlier, and a human female that we haven't seen before. And uh, they're not given names, but they're referred to only as admirals. Uh, since the Emperor is out of it, they do all the talking, and they basically dress down Picard for all his failures that we saw in the miniseries Through the Mirror. That's where Picard was supposed to capture the Prime Universe's Enterprise and bring it to the Mirror Universe to help create an armada to fight against the Klingons and Cardassians of the Mirror Universe. They tell him to do better, and then they remind him that he stole the Enterprise from them in the miniseries Broken Mirror, and that they can take it away from him anytime they want. Later, in a bar near the Golden Gate Bridge, Picard and Riker drink away their sorrows from their recent tongue lashing. And then Picard starts his plan for a possible coup. Meanwhile on the ship, Data meets with Troy about his feelings since losing Barclay in the transdimensional beaming. Troy mocks him for missing his friend, but then Data soon shows his enhanced strength by breaking a table and Troy then shows the android the respect that his station deserves. Meanwhile, in engineering, Miles is tinkering with a device that Geordi and Data were working on. It is a interdimensional viewer. Miles is able to succeed where his seniors failed, and he, they are able to view into the Prime Universe, and they see that Mirror Barclay is there on the Prime Enterprise, with the Prime Barclay tied up. They report these findings to Picard, who then orders a retrieval of Barclay immediately. And then there's a very truncated retelling of Terra Incognita number six, where we see the Mirror crew returning to the Prime Enterprise, fighting with the Prime Enterprise crew, and retaking Barclay back to the Mirror Universe. And then Barclay is able to save his own skin by providing details on an Armada-building planet ready for plundering, uh, and this is the planet that we saw in Terra Incognita number four. The end.
or to be continued. Uh, yeah, more. Yeah, that's that's probably more correct. To be continued or to be started because this is issue zero. <laughs> yeah. So what is okay. your thought on why? So zero? I, I, I'm not saying that this is right, but the only thing I could figure out to be justification for it to be called issue zero or issue zero is that it it gives you more backstory that led to the end of Terra Incognita number six. Right. So Terra Incognita, as you may remember, six issue miniseries. Um, apparently there's a chunk of time there before when they, when they grabbed Barkley again and where things happened and Obviously, in this issue, Picard dealt with the fallout of, of failing to grab the uh, the real enter- or our enterprise, right? Um, and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like a chunk of narrative that really fits more in Terra Cognita time period. Uh, and then they kind of bring you up to date with that. And then now the next issue is going to continue the story after uh, grabbing Barkley, I guess. Right. Yeah, I kind of thought that too. That zero was was just bringing us up to date, right? On what was going on during the that other miniseries. But still, it could have been issue one. I don't know. Yeah, why it could have been. Zero. It could have been. But that, I mean, I'm saying that's the only justification I can see. Yeah, that's the or only one I saw that comes either. to mind. Right. Right. It's kind of like um, Dark Horse Comics used to do issue zero a lot and and in fact they kind of still do with like resident alien so resident mm. alien is several different miniseries mm-hmm. and each one is a four-part miniseries but it always starts with zero for some reason hmm. and there's really no does it overlap with the previous one no well i mean there's storylines that go that carry on you know with, with okay the mystery of who killed the doctor and all that stuff but sure um but for that one, it, I never understood why they always start with zero. But then back in mm. the day when they were doing the Aliens and Star Wars and Predator and Terminator and all those uh, miniseries, what they would do is they had an anthology book called Dark Horse Presents. And they mm. would like tell tell a little story in several issues of the anthology, and then that would be issue zero of a, of a main miniseries, right? So it would be like – in case you weren't following the last three months of this this other book, here's that story in one issue, and then next month will be issue one, which will continue the, you know, the aliens versus predator story or whatever that they were mm-hmm. setting up. So in that one, it made sense to have zero, but in here and in Resident Alien and other times they do zero, maybe it should have just started with one. Right. In my opinion. Right. But they don't ask me. They do, they do what they want to do. <laughs> they should. But they don't. <laughs> but anyways, what'd you think of this issue? I like I liked it. Oh, it was fine. It was good. Um, it, what's going to be interesting about this series is, at least for I'm going to guess for the first couple issues, it's going to be all in this world. Because the Terra Incognita, I mean, a lot of that was like jumping back and forth between quote, our universe and this mirror universe and well, trying to grab the Enterprise and stuff? No, that that wasn't Terra Incognita. That was uh, oh. Through the Mirror, which was the miniseries before that. So, yeah, okay. Through the Mirror universe, Through the Mirror was 
the bouncing back and forth. Terra okay. Incognita was all okay, in the so, Prime Universe, except okay. for uh, Barclay was there. Okay, so the first series was bouncing back and forth. Yeah. The next one was in the Prime Universe. And now, at least so far, because I'm sure they're going to go back there and try to grab the Enterprise or do something. Or at least get to this this ship-making place. It's probably going to be the new objective, I guess. Right. Um, they're spending a lot of time in the Mirror Universe. Right. And, and, and I really like that because when we read Terra Incognito and we had mm-hmm. that last panel where, you know, Barclay basically saved his life by saying, there's this other planet that's just ready mm-hmm. to be, uh, uh, picked over. And then you and I both talked. Are they talking about that planet in the prime universe or is that planet also exists in the mirror universe that has the same fleet making capability? Capability. And then they were looking through that little visor, and they could see the planet, and then mm-hmm. we didn't know what it was. We were like, is that just some sort of, like, telescope that goes to that planet in their universe, or is it going to the other universe? And now we know that it's, it's our universe, interdimensional viewer. Yeah. Right. Handy thing to have. It's kind of creepy if you think about it. So that means you're <laughs> never alone. You, you can know, watch anything. Anytime you're... Anytime you're anywhere, there's somebody from another universe going to be watching you. Indeed. A little Indeed. creepy. A little creepy. A little creepy. So who do you think the assassin is? Because that was, that was kind of a cool scene. Yeah. Obviously somebody in the crew. I mean, that they made that pretty obvious. But who? So right. a nice little mystery. Who done it? I, I think it's a, a small enough, skinny enough looking person. I think it's a woman. I was thinking that too. Well, when I first saw the the head, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, "Is this is this how they're going to introduce Mirror Wharf? You know, and is this? Ah. but is mm. this going to be the same Mirror Wharf that we see later in Deep Space Nine Mirror Universe episode?" So I was like, really like conflicted if it was going to be Wharf. But then they started fighting, and you're right, uh, the person's very small. So now I'm thinking, right. I'm wondering if it's Sonia Gomez or maybe uh, Crusher. Wesley, Wesley or Sonia. That, that's my guess. Oh, Wesley. Wesley's small enough. And, yeah, most, most of the male characters. Most, well, she's, yeah, she's definitely a small woman. Uh, well, the, I mean, she was – I mean, the original character on TNG was played by a short woman, right? Right, right. I mean, she was pretty petite. Yes. Um, so that's possible. Uh, and, and the way they had Sonia Gomez uh, rescuing Riker at the beginning, it was like, oh, okay. Okay, well, I guess somebody likes that character from TNG, you know, to to plug her in there like that and and make such a big point about her. Well, 20, um, 2021 has been the year of Sonia Gomez since she made her return in Lower Decks as well <laughs> as Captain. <laughs> Captain yeah. Sonia Gomez. Yes, yes. Uh, now, they didn't – okay, so they didn't bring back the actress to do the voice in yeah, Lower Decks, no, that did was they? Her. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, good for her. Um, another possibility, although I don't think this is the case, but just something just flashed in my mind was, uh, we can see that in future issues, uh, that will be going over in the coming weeks that, uh, Ro Laren comes back in uh. and, um, and Cisco's there on one of the covers. And then it's like, it's really showing Ro Laren in the, in another issues covers for next week. And I'm just like wondering, wow, what if could this be Ro? what if what if that was Ro? Mm-hmm. But but uh, is Ro in the crew? It's like oh well, well she could be. I, I don't know. 
Um, well, the, Bajor- the Bajorans are in a different uh, place in the mirror universe than they are in the prime universe. Okay, are they on the Imperial side or are they on the Cardassian Klingon side? They are on the Cardassian Klingon side because remember okay. um, Kira was like their leader or whatever. Remember she was wearing that that suit that looks like it looks like the Shizan suit actually a very tight leathery looking spandex suit. Well, and she was controlling okay, but, both the Cardassians and the Klingons that were surrounding Deep Space Nine. Oh, I don't remember that, but okay. Okay, cool. So Bajoran over there. Okay, so seeing her, I mean, having her on those covers, on the upcoming covers, uh, with Cisco, and it looks like they're in um, civilian uniforms, they look like they're definitely part of the Klingon Romulan kind of thing, probably. Uh, so seeing a Cardassian on the ship as a member of the crew is probably not as likely. Um, okay, well, there was a thought. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't look ahead, so I, I, I was just going off of that that mirror. Through the mirror, I thought uh, there was some tension between uh, Picard and Wesley, and I was thinking – well, maybe they'll follow up on that because he's a you know smaller guy, right? And then I was like, and they are so heavily like, thank you, Ensign Go, Ensign Sonia Gomez. Yeah, I had to right. make sure they gave her her full name and you know, <laughs> like let's really draw a lot of attention to Sonia Gomez over here. And I, right. that's why I was like, I wonder if that's her. Right, right. That they're gonna uh, kind of do like what Enterprise did, which is have uh, 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 Yoshi. Become the <laughs> become the big bad at the, the end by by killing Eventually. the captain. There you go. Could be. Uh, and by the way, just giving a plug, uh, it looks like Wesley is in one of the upcoming covers. Right, which makes sense. I mean, he was in yeah. this issue. Yep. Yep. So, um, what do you think about the emperor? I got a definite weekend in Bur. Weekend at Bernie's vibe. <laughs> so, so they're talking. I mean, it's the two admirals that are doing all the talking, and the admiral literally looks like Bernie from <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's. It's like a dead cadaver sitting there, and uh, and Admiral Nachayev is there, and then there's a Vulcan admiral, maybe Savar. I'm not sure oh, which admiral okay. that so- is. Nachayev is the woman? Is the woman, yeah. Ah, okay. I thought, so she's I the thought Nachayev was the emperor's name. No. I totally that's... miss... I mean, now that I'm looking at it, of course it's right. But when I was uh, rereading it to do the synopsis, I totally mixed up their name. So the emperor is never given a name then? No, he's just, he's just the, the emperor. emperor. Okay. Who, who, if, who doesn't say a thing. Nope. Who's slumped in his throne... Like he's dead, <laughs> and and the other two people are doing all the talking, right? Um, yeah, and then which it, is, yeah, yeah, and then Picard's even later saying to Riker that those two are only there because they need to change his diapers or something like that. So. Exactly. So so maybe he does have a debilitating disease or something or something that that makes him like that, but he really is alive, right? But he sure didn't look like it. No. <laughs> I mean, you, you, it's hard to say, but you really can't see his eyes open or anything. Right. Yeah. 
Now, you, you mentioned Weekend at Bernie's, and, and you're right. Um, but uh, but the vibe I was getting is, um, I don't, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Warhammer 40,000. I'm familiar with the franchise. Right. And just in broad strokes, I have never been exposed to an actual story. It's a game, right? It, it's a game, but there's there's tons of you know comic books and novels and things like sure. that. So did it start out being some kind of board game it, or it's something? It's a board game. Yeah, it originally started okay. off as a, a a war table game. Okay. okay. Uh, but anyways, but in it, the uh, the emperor is, and he's been emperor for like two hundred years, but he's been in a. I mean, he's basically dead, but they're keeping him alive. You know, because he's supposed to be immortal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the vibe I was getting. Like this emperor that you're like, is he really calling the shots? You know, in some sort of yeah. supernatural techno way, like in Warhammer mm-hmm. 40,000, because I think he really is somehow still calling the shots in that one. But there's also, you know, I'm also thinking, or is he dead? And it's just his handlers are the ones making all the all the, all the shots, calling all the shots. Right. Which is yeah. what I was getting out of this guy too, right? I don't know, but we'll find out. I get the feeling. I hope so. Yes. All right. So Nachaya, that's a name that I've heard before. So yes, you have. Um, She's been in multiple episodes of TNG. I always thought Nachaya was a man for some reason. Uh a blonde woman. Okay. Who is not that big? Maybe I'm thinking of. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously thinking of somebody else during Kirk's time, so never oh. mind. All right, so she's been in some Next Generation episodes? Yep. Yeah, she was – in some episodes, she was Picard's boss, basically. Right. That's now, cool. the Vulcan – the Vulcan guy, I don't remember seeing them actually calling out his name any place. No, they don't because I read through it three times yeah. to try to find his name. Right. But he's a Vulcan admiral, so I'm thinking if they if they if they fished Nachayev out from the past, maybe this guy's from the past too. And and so I did a search on Vulcan admirals, and uh, there wasn't any obvious things. But in season one, there was an Admiral Savar, okay, uh, who was a uh, who was a Vulcan admiral, um, and he was involved in that really kind of. <laughs> Lame last episode, or you know, when they had those 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 like parasites that were in people's bodies. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. But, so he was. Yeah. yeah but he was one of the guys that got taken the, over. The Borg. Well, exactly. So that was the first shot at some a big new enemy. Right. That got replaced by the Borg. Right. Right. And much better, may I say. Although apparently those things, I mean, those things that were in people's bodies and taking them over, I mean, that's a little bit, a little bit like um, drills, yeah, a little bit. bit. Right. And then the idea, and then a little bit like there, there's like the bad guys are infiltrating Starfleet and stuff. Well, that's obviously the Dominion yeah, the and the shapeshifters. Right. Exactly. Right. So, anyway. Yeah, it's definitely so, a well that they went back to a time or two. Right. So maybe it's Savar, but it also could be a totally different guy we've never seen before. Right. Yeah, I was just surprised to see a Vulcan in that high a position because, uh, I mean, I know that Spock was, was Emperor for a while, but mm-hmm. 
But, oh, I mean, that, least... that high a position within the Terran Empire. Exactly. exactly. I agree. I agree. And I know that everybody really hated the way Spock left it. So uh, mm-hmm. would they would he become would they let another Vulcan have that, that high rank up. where he's basically yeah. calling the shots for a comatose uh, uh, leader? Right. Don't know. I don't know either. I uh, I like that panel that showed the palace. The Imperial Palace for a couple reasons. Okay. So the Imperial Palace apparently is where Starfleet Command was. Right. Because it's in San Francisco, even though in the Prime Universe, the seat of the Federation was in Paris. Uh, But they have it in San Francisco. You can see the Golden Gate. And of course, the Golden Gate (laughs) one, you know, one of the spires has this big, huge gun on it. Right. Yeah. And that's a big gun. Yeah, all, all the spires do. Yeah, exactly. So it's big, huge gun that kind of looks like a big phaser cannon, or I'm not sure what it is, but it's a big gun. It looks like um, the big turrets from Star Wars on the Death Star. That's, that's what yeah, I was thinking it was. Yeah, something like that. More of a traditional kind of thing. And then the building itself is got kind of like a, a an Eastern Asian... Uh, Russian, you know, kind of roof, like a, like an upside down turnip kind of roof. Uh, and then, and, but then in, in the body of the building, it's got Roman columns. So it's like, huh. It's like an amalgam of all the cultures. It kind of, uh, earth cultures. Right. Um, and then another thing that's kind of cool is, and I didn't notice it at first, but they're basically showing Kirk and Riker, or not Kirk, uh, Picard. Picard and Riker uh, beaming onto, you know, in front of the steps. Right, and we get to see the that, beams from space. Exactly. Yellow, <laughs> like yellow beams coming from space. And I thought that was kind of schlocky, but also cool. Yeah, something I've never seen before. I've never seen that before either. I thought it was kind of clever. Yeah, it looks kind of cool, though. Yeah. Yeah, it took me a while to figure out what it was. I just thought it was some sort of columns next to the... Next to the building, and then uh, then you see the room, you see the image of two little people, and then you're like, that's the beam from space. Exactly. Yeah, that was cute. Yeah. So, um, what did you think of the Picard suddenly deciding he's going to take down the Emperor? Um, I... I thought... Okay. Um, did he talk about that in the past ever? I mean, he's mentioned that he doesn't like the way it's it's governed, Being but he's run. never said that he's going to take them down right. and take over. Right. Okay. So, um, uh, fine. I mean, it's it's in alignment with this Picard, uh, who is ruthless and driven, and yeah, he wants right. all the power. I guess it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I just like okay, this is this is the one panel that's setting up the book. This this is going to be the the war. This is the war right. that they're talking about. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, I was thinking it was back to the war with the Prime Universe, right? But then, no, it's going to be the internal struggles, but also more uh, Klingon Cardassian action, right? Right. 
and and that's all in this this universe. I mean, it's not even talking about the prime universe. Yeah, I kind of hope, hope they don't go to the prime universe, but I guess they well, are but, going to try to get that well, ship exactly. building thing. The shipbuilding thing is gonna is gonna lure them back, and I'm fine if the whole thing was in the, was in this universe. I'd be fine with that, but uh, yeah. Yep. And what'd you think of the Data Troy interaction? I thought that was kind of weird. I I thought it was weird and funny. I love how uh, how this Troy was like like just making fun of Data, right? Like you like you're uh, uh, you know Pinocchio or something. Right, Pinocchio who gets exactly. gets his feelings hurt because he's a real exactly. Boy. Yeah. But the but the other thing is like what's I okay. Jordy and Data were always the buddies, right? But in this universe, it seems like it's Data and Barkley the buddies, and Data's kind of acting funny, right? Like he's he really misses Barkley, so it appears. So he has feelings. What is that? That was another thing I was wondering. I was like, in this universe, why would why would Lore not be the perfect version? And so, you know, and we might have talked about this when we did the other issues is that, mm-hmm. you know, it would have been kind of cool if this in this universe, if it was lore instead of data, because if you had a, a kind of a cruel android, then that doesn't seem like a negative in this universe. And why would no, you but... have built the data? So you would want a robot that has feelings and uh, maybe a little cruel streak. Well, yeah, and since it's flipped, that would be Data. Uh, so right. Lore in this universe is the... Would be a good guy. Oh, okay, okay. And who knows? Maybe we'll see that, but I don't know. But So, so I definitely <laughs> we'll got the feeling that this one has feelings where Data... This, one? Data this one seems to have an emotion chip. I mean, look at him. He's been angry. Plenty. Right. And, then I and lo- he's definitely cruel. I loved the... Uh... I loved the little show of force. Show of exactly, strength. and then, and then Troy totally backing down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, it really reminded me of that uh, that scene from one one of my favorite scenes in that Batman Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, when Bane puts his hand on that guy's shoulder who just says "I'm in charge," and then he's just like, right. just by putting his hand on his shoulder, he's like, "Do you feel like you're in charge?" The guy's like, uh, <laughs> "No." <laughs> Do you feel like you're in charge? There you go. I love the Bane. Bane, that's so funny. Uh so how did you like how magically? Well, first off, why would the bridge crew go on this mission, <laughs> this dangerous mission? Well, okay. So mo- supposedly it wasn't dangerous to the Cardassian quote automated shipping ves- vessel, right? But the entire bridge crew goes onto this thing, and what happens? They are confronted by um, by Cardassians that have their guns raised, pointed at them, specifically Jordy and Picard, and there's there's seven of them. <laughs> And are they all part stormtrooper? Because all they do is like nick Picard in the arm. 
and that's it. They didn't hit anybody other than that. Yeah, and, and quite a few of them, it's shown getting taken out, but but none of none of our guys get taken out. Exactly. I mean, no, come on. I mean, because the Cardassians, they're all there. Their guns are raised. They are aiming at them when that door opens, when Jordy opens that door. Oh, it's funny. It is funny. It's, it's, it's just not – it's just so unlikely. It's very stormtroopery. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. But, yeah, no. Uh, and then the things that they're going to steal. He's like, all right, let's steal some dilithium, latinum, isolinear chips. Mm-hmm. Uh, data rods and biometric gel. And I'm like, don't y'all have replicators? Why do you need those things? Right. I mean, I yeah. get the dilithium. I've seen Discovery. I know. I know how important that stuff is, and how <laughs> or any Taws episode resource that is. What's that? Or any Taws episode? Right. They were constantly having dilithium crystal problems. I was so glad that next gen. Just to shoot all that, right? But then the biomimetic gel—that was that was Is that a, from Voyager. That's a Voyager thing. Yeah, that's what I thought. I didn't know uh, Cardassians used it too. Yeah, I did not know that either. Right. Or maybe there's some other purpose for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, the last thing I want to mention because it sounds like you're done. I'm done. Okay. Um, I just want to mention that Troy. On the on the primary cover, cover A, looks a bit full figured. She looks like a, a full figured gal. Okay. And uh, and also, I think that's a Cardassian skull she's holding. Yeah, on. it's definitely a Cardassian skull. Okay. And I do kind of like how Picard is like with the flag and everything, and there's all these skulls, you know, fleshless skulls that look like they're either Klingons or Cardassians or both. I think that's really cool. But back to Troy. So Troy looks like a comely lady who likes moo-moos, black moo-moos. Um, so she doesn't look that good in this issue. But in the next issue, by one of your favorite artists, so issue number one, uh, I think it's the primary cover. Um, I think that uh, I think that he does a far better job. Uh, Jay, uh no, not J.J. Lendl. Uh, J.K. Woodward? J.K. Woodward. Okay. I think J.K. Woodward does a, a much better job of drawing Troy, uh, including rock-hard abs and cleavage in some kind of a, I don't know, some kind of a black, really tight outfit. Gotcha. Anyway, compare and contrast, very different covers and depictions of Troy. Hmm. Uh, I... I I mean, I thought she looked quite nice in this issue, so. <laughs> well, she looks better in the next one, at least the next cover. And it was great seeing Smiley. Oh, yeah. Uh, in this one. And he makes it on the cover of issue number one, too. So I guess we're going to see him again. Good. And maybe it'll explain why he's on the mining vessel in Deep Space Nine as a slave. Uh, I don't think they're going to explain that. Yeah, they have to. Do they? Yeah. I mean, once we get closer and closer to that time, they're going to have to explain why he's there. Okay. Building a Defiant. Oh, was it, uh, was it actually, was the assassin actually Smiley? No. O'Brien? No. 
No, he's going to be captured he's by now. he's going to be captured by the Klingons and Cardassians and put put in the slave the slave uh, camp there on Deep Space Nine with the other oh, humans. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I don't think they're going to mention it, but maybe we'll see. That'd be kind of cool if they did that. Yeah, and Cisco dies too, so uh, maybe the mirror Cisco will be kicking the bucket since we see him on the covers. I don't know because he dies. We'll see. Deep Space Nine. So. We'll see how much they align it. And again, you could have a bunch of mirror universes that look similar, that aren't necessarily the same. So they've always got that out if they don't want to keep everything exactly lockstep. Then now you're you're leaning towards the Myriad universe, which is a whole other line of books. Myriad? Did you say Myriad? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they did a line of books called the Myriad universe, and it was just like anything goes. You know, it was like. Every every book was its own universe. Okay. And that was all Star. I mean, that was the Star Trek mirrored universe. It was a pocketbook or Simon and Schuster thing. Okay. No no comics set in that universe. Okay. Or well, universes. Just want to say the new Coda books, the trilogy, mm-hmm. the first issue, is a little bit more towards the anything goes. Good. Multiverse. I am looking forward to reading that. Well, about halfway through, as you well know, and I'm enjoying it thoroughly. Good. Okay, but that's enough for another day. Yep. In fact, we just a little sneak peek. We might shift into the uh, novel uh, commentary business a little bit in the in the not too distant future. True. True. All right. Uh, I'm I'm done. So, you done? I'm done. All right. So next episode we will be doing issues. One and two of Mirror War. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So far, started off on a good, good, good footing for me. I agree. For me too. Sometimes they don't quite land for me, but this one did. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.